In case you haven't noticed, we're definitely switching into Christmas. We are eight days into December, and I don't know about you, but quite frankly, I find that a little bit outrageous. Yet here we are, and Christmas is barreling down at us. There's no stopping it now. So today we're going to jump into our Advent series, which will lead us up to and prepare us for our Christmas services. And so in order to get your minds and my mind into that Christmas theological gear, uh, where we think about the incarnation of Jesus and what it means for us today, I want you to turn to someone around you and answer the question, why was Jesus born? If someone asked you that question, why was Jesus born, how would you respond off the cuff, which you've been given this question off the cuff, in less than 20 seconds? Turn to someone and share how you would answer that. Well, I did say uh, only 20 seconds. So this is a question, obviously, that, that your kids can ask you, that a work colleague can ask you, uh, and that theologians have spent uh, you know, centuries filling tombs of books answering that question. But I love that question because there are so many facets and ways that you can answer it, and, and all of it bring us to this place of just complete awe, and I think this humble love and adoration for a God who would act in human history in this way, in entering our space in the personal work of Jesus. I think one of the reasons that Jesus was born that I, that I probably wouldn't get to in, in the first 20 seconds of chatting over with a work colleague is the idea that Jesus was born to show us how to live and how to experience life as God intends for us. I mean, we had the phrase over there on our wall for a couple of years that we are a community who are learning to live and love like Jesus. Because we recognize that as disciples, as followers of Jesus, we look to him and we learn from him about what it means to live in a way that God intends. And so we look to and we learn from Jesus for our beliefs. I think this is incredibly natural and normal for most of us. We look to him so we can understand God and we can understand life. We can understand who Jesus is. And so we look to his life and his teaching to understand or to inform our beliefs. We look to Jesus and we learn from Jesus for our behavior as well. I don't know about you, but I grew up for the first five years of my Christian life with a little bracelet that had WWJD on it. You know, what would Jesus do? And it's that idea as someone who's been formed in the image of Christ, in the way that I want to live, in my behaviors, in my actions, my interactions with others, I need to look to him and I need to learn from him, his life, his example, and his teaching, uh, and then to step into that myself. So we're very familiar with looking to and learning from Jesus when it comes to our belief and our behaviours. And yet I wonder whether we find it stretching or maybe challenging to look to Jesus for how we should feel, to actually learn from Jesus how to experience emotion, what to do with emotions, or how to respond to the experiences that we have in life. So there's a little bit of fundamental background theology here that we believe that Jesus is fully human. Please uh, nod your heads and assure me that I'm in a solid Baptist church, right? We also believe that he is fully God, and once again, uh, a round of head nodding. Perfect. Beautiful. So this is who we understand Jesus to be, fully God, and yet in his incarnation, taking on becoming flesh in the fullness of what that means. That as life happens, there are things firing in his brain, hormones being released. He's getting cramps as he's going on long walks, and he is interacting with people just like you and I. And what we see in the scriptures and what we understand about the personal work of Jesus is that as fully human, he lived perfectly according to God's good, pleasing, and perfect purposes for human life and human existence. Everything that God intends for us to do, live, and experience, Jesus did. 
And he didn't do this in some sort of vacuum, some sort of perfect lab conditions. He did this as one of us, getting tired, getting hungry in the social and political context that he lived. He did this being misunderstood even by some of his closest friends and having enemies and having to navigate all that kind of stuff as a 30-something man in first century Palestine. And through it all, he lived perfectly aligned with God's good, pleasing and perfect design for him and for human life and living. And so if we want to know what it means to be truly human, as God intends for us, then we need to look and learn from Jesus. That if we want to know what it is to live and to experience life as God fully intends for us to live and experience it, then we need to look and learn from Jesus. Because he remains in the center of God's will as he lives and as he experiences life. Dave Mathis writes that the surprising testimony of the Gospels is that Jesus was a man of unparalleled and unshakable joy. Jesus was a man of unparalleled and unshakable joy. Donald MacLeod writes, a joyless life would have been a sinful life. In its place, Jesus experienced deep and habitual joy. And if you want to know where we found that quote, that's in a book on Christology. So, you know, hundreds of pages of a theologian writing on the person and work and nature of Christ Jesus and spending their life energy to think about who Jesus is and how he lived and what that means concludes that Jesus experienced deep and habitual joy. So I would love it if, just to get our hearts ready for this, if you would turn to somebody, we're going to do a little bit of this today, and just share this question. When have you experienced deep joy in your life. It could be literally for a microsecond, it could be for a period of time. When have you experienced deep joy in your life? Share that with the person next to you. All right. Can hear some of those conversations wrapping up. There's a little bit of a lull, so we'll launch on and we'll continue on. But my sincere hope and prayer for each of us is that we actually know this, that we have an answer for this, that we're able to say we know what it is to experience deep joy in our lives. Maybe it's from a particular circumstance or coming out of a particular relationship. Maybe it's that deep Christian joy that we have because of our walk with and love of and for God. But this idea of deep joy, I think, is something that Jesus models for us. There's only two headings today. Oh, no, terrible, isn't it? I know, feel ripped off, but it's, it's Advent and we're going easy on you. So the first is this, that Jesus experienced and modelled for us a life of deep habitual joy. So not only Jesus in becoming fully human experienced that deep and habitual joy, but in being God's sent agent to show us what it means to truly be human as God intends for it and to live and to experience life as God intends for us, he also provides an example by which we are to follow. We would agree with that 100% when it comes to his behaviour and his teaching, his theology, so why not his emotional life as well? You see, we read throughout the scriptures that Jesus likened himself to a groom. And I don't know if you've ever watched someone's face when they've just said those I do vows and their face lights up. I mean, it's undeniable joy, isn't it? And Jesus likens himself to a bridegroom. That's in Mark chapter 2. He taught that joy was essential in receiving his kingdom. This is Matthew chapter 13. The kingdom of God is like a man who finds a treasure in the field and in his joy goes and sells everything because he's discovered this eternal source of joy. His opponents actually accuse him of having too much joy. That's Luke chapter 7. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, very serious men. But Jesus was able to do a whole lot of partying and all manner of things, even on the Sabbath. 
But what we see at a deeper level is that Jesus experienced a profound sense of joy that comes from his relationship with the Father. In fact, this has been foretold from the Psalms and and it's picked up in Peter's sermon at Pentecost. So Acts chapter 2, verse 28, uh, speaking of Jesus, picking up from that Old Testament uh, psalm, speaks of, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. This is what David said about him, verse 25. And we see this, don't we? I mean, in all parts of the gospel. Jesus' delight in retreating from the crowds just to to be with his father. His delight in that high priestly prayer in John 17, as he cries out, God, I'm I'm returning to you. And and as we are one, well, so do I want others to be one with us as well. When the 72 in Luke chapter 10 return from that great uh, mission trip where they demons submit to them in the name of Jesus, Jesus is quick to say, yep, 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 that is good, but don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice in this relationship that you have with your God, your heavenly Father. We see that Jesus has a joy that comes out of that relationship and is built upon through the indwelling Holy Spirit. In that same passage, Luke records, verse 21, that at that time, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, goes on to pray. As you get a sense of Jesus throughout the Gospels, you have a sense of this joy that comes to him from remaining in the center of God's will. I think this is particularly evident in the Gospel of John. Throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus is just saying, everything my Father says, I say. Everything he tells me to say, I say. Everything I see my Father do, I do. The thing that sustains me is not just physical food. It's this relationship with him. And so it certainly informs how he teaches in Luke chapter 15, that idea that you know, heaven rejoices when someone comes back to God because that's part of God's heart and part of God's plan for salvation history. And there's also this joy that he has from certain future hope. Jesus is fully aware of how it all ends and how God will work and the outcome. And so there is this sense of certain future hope that enables him to, with joy, carry through his ministry, which is difficult And to challenge us on this, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 reminds us that it was because of the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross, even scorning its shame. Joy is a powerful emotion, isn't it? And a wonderful place to live out of and live from. And I think Hebrews 12 is really important for us to note, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Because it's not like anybody looks at the life of Jesus and thinks to themselves, He had such a comfy, cruisy life. Nothing ever went wrong for him. No wonder he experienced so much joy, right? No one looks at the life of Jesus with coveting and jealousy, do they? (laughs) You look at his life and go, oh, I understand what Isaiah 53.3 was talking about. Here is a man who is familiar with suffering, a man of suffering familiar with pain, or in old school translations, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He knows what it is to feel the sting of betrayal and to be misunderstood and to actually bear the weight of all all of our sins, and yet in this, not to allow it to bring him to a place of despair or discouragement or dissatisfaction, which is not to say he doesn't experience other human emotions like anger and grief and deep anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane, but there is this joy that seems to permeate and sustain and carry him through the ups and the downs of human existence and of his ministry life. Well, this is an Advent series, so what does all this have to do with Advent? I think the temptation for many of us, or maybe that's unfair, 
I think what we can sometimes, uh, unfortunately, do is gloss over Advent as that cute story for the kids while the grown-ups focus on Jesus' life and his teaching. Or we see it as a necessary precursor to some sort of transaction that needs to happen between Jesus and God. That is, that the cosmic balance sheet is out of whack, that we are in debt, that there is a penalty that needs to be paid, and Jesus is the one who's going to pay that and make that right, so he needs to be born in order to do that. And we can reduce salvation history and, and why Jesus came down to that sort of transaction. And that's always going to be one of the most fundamental and foundational truths of the gospel, that Jesus came to lay down his life in our place to make us right with God. And the, the truth of the incarnation is that, and the language of Jesus himself is that he came to lead us into life in all of its fullness. I think the Christmas story, that is the incarnation of God in the person of Jesus, should silence any thought that God does not care about our lives and silence any thought that God could never possibly identify or understand what we're going through. See, the very announcement of his birth by the angels in Luke chapter 2 is what? That I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. The advent of Christ, the incarnation of Christ, the coming of God in the person of Jesus is good news. It is the gospel, and it does cause and it can cause great joy for all people who will lean in and see and understand what it actually means for us. That Jesus, as the perfect human, so to speak, shows us how to live as God intended and how to experience life as God intends us to live it. And his example, what he models for us to follow in his footsteps of, is one of deep and habitual joy. Do you know that in your own life? So the second point today is for simply us to step into this, to actually live in the deep, habitual joy that is found in Jesus. See, not only does Jesus model this for us, but he speaks very directly into it. Not just giving us the example of a life lived with joy, but actually promising to give us his joy for us to experience and walk in in our lives. I don't know if you've picked up on that joy language on the upper room narratives that he has with his disciples at the end of John. So this is the, the final night. That's that final time he gets to spend with his disciples before his arrest, his betrayal, and, and his subsequent crucifixion. So this is the stuff that he really, really wants them to get hold of. In 15, 16, and 17 chapters in John's gospel, he speaks to this sense of joy. And not just joy, but complete joy, or joy that is fulfilled. So in John chapter 15... He tells them this, that is, to remain in his love, as the verses just before, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. That is, lacking nothing, not, not partial, um, not a taste of joy, but you might actually have complete joy in your life and in your experience of life. Again, this is not to say that everything goes well for them, that things are easy and comfortable and cruisy. Now, that's not the example that Jesus has left us, nor is it the expectation that Jesus has given us. Very clearly, he says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And actually promises us an additional level of a discomfort in our life's experiences, simply because we'll be persecuted because of his name. And yet he says, my joy will be in you if you remain in my love. And that joy is going to be complete in you. Next chapter, chapter 16 again, once again, he's talking about his resurrection. He says, I am going to come back and you will see me again and you will rejoice and no one will be able to take away your joy. 
Now, if you've read through the book of Acts and if you understand uh, church history, you'll understand some of the fate and some of the experiences that the disciples in that room hearing this spoken to them experienced. There's plenty of circumstances that would maybe steal their happiness or their comfort, even their lives, and yet the promises of Jesus is that once they see him as the resurrected king, they will rejoice and there will be no one able to take away their joy. And promises them that they can even call out to him in prayer, asking, receiving, and their joy will be once again made complete. In chapter 17, Jesus is praying to the Father. And once again, he says, I'm saying these things. He's speaking to God here in, in chapter 17. I'm coming to you now, Father, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have, his disciples, the full measure of my joy within them. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? That we would have the full measure of the joy of Jesus within us. So one more question, and you don't need to turn to anyone around you for this one. This is just for your own personal contemplation. What is your current experience of joy? What is your current relationship with joy? There is a joy that is of Jesus, that is from Jesus, and that is found in relationship with Jesus that is like no other. And this joy, I believe, is our inheritance as his followers, as children of God. This joy is not just for people where stuff's going really right or who have got everything sorted in their personal life, but this joy is for any and all who would call themselves a disciple of Jesus, that his joy would be made complete in us. And so so we turn our minds to Christmas and the Christmas season I'm not exhorting you to find a moment of happiness this Christmas, though I really hope that all of you experience many moments of happiness this Christmas season. But I want to invite you to a deep and abiding joy that is found only in relationship with Jesus. To see and to understand that Jesus coming in the flesh means so much more than just some cosmic transaction that happened out there outside of us. But actually, this is God's heart for you and for how you live and how you experience life. That his joy is available to us, no matter how tragic or hard or anxious-inducing our circumstances seem to be. That there is a joy in simply knowing him and walking in his will, being filled by his spirit and knowing our future certain hope but so much more that there's this joy that actually comes from Jesus, that is of Jesus, and that we discover as we journey in faith through him in relationship with him. And so I wanted to give you just a a bit of time to think some of that stuff through, to not rush off and think about what's next uh, in your life and in your December, because I'm imagining for many of us that to-do list is quite long. Close your eyes and spend some time thinking about that, or maybe even praying. As you do, I would would ask you to think that question through. What is my current experience of joy? And is there a joy of Jesus and from Jesus that I'm not experiencing the full measure of? And what would it look like for me to press into that place, to ask God to invite Jesus into that place of bringing joy in all of its fullness into my life? Um, But I pray that as you pray or as you think, that God actually lifts your spirit and by the power of his Holy Spirit who indwells within you, that he would restore to you or he would amplify or he would enlarge that sense of joy that is yours as his follower, as his child. May you know in the name of Jesus the fullness of Jesus' joy, not only today, not only this season, but all the days of your life.